Welcome to the Preach and Persuade podcast. Uh, I'm Sam Parada. I'm Adam Nesvold. And we are uh, back again to finish up uh, our series on the Doctrines of Grace. It is post uh, New Year's, post Christmas, so we are now in the year 2020. Yes, Happy New Year. Which is kind of weird, a new decade, but still talking about the Doctrines of Grace. (laughs) Uh, The Doctrines of Grace will probably be talked about in every decade of history. (laughs) One would hope. Yeah, we hope so. But yeah, we're going to be continuing to talk about them in 2020, at the very beginning. I mean, I, I guess when I get older and I look back at my life and I have children and grandchildren, children, I can tell them that. I started 2020 off talking about the doctrines of Calvinism, and they'll be like, oh, Grandpa, still talking about the doctrines of Calvinism. <laughs> but, yeah, we like these things, and we like these doctrines, and we're if hopefully you've been listening to the series, so you're not just jumping right in at Irresistible Grace, but that is what we're going to be talking about today. We're talking about the doctrine, which is represented by the I in tulip, Irresistible Grace. Sometimes it's called Affectious Grace, uh, that might be a little bit of a better name for it. Much better. Yeah. And w- like we've said before, the naming of the doctrines of Calvinism, or the doctrines of grace, however you want to think about them, can be bad at some time, you know, at some points. And it's basically, don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, certainly, you could misconstrue some of these words to mean something that they don't mean, and then you automatically count off the doctrine or... You know, write it off before you actually dig into what do these words mean? What does irresistible mean? What does grace mean? You know, limited atonement was a great example of maybe something that was named poorly. Uh, what do they mean by limited? Uh, and if you didn't hear that podcast on limited atonement, I recommend you go back and listen to that <laughs> and listen to all of them if you haven't listened to any of them. But we will be talking about, I'm going to call it affectious grace instead of limited or Unlimited, or wait, Irresistible Grace Call. Now I'm getting it all mixed up. (laughs) But before we really get into it, I'm just going to read what the Westminster Confession states. I feel like, I mean, what do you think about this, Adam? I feel like out of the five points of Calvinism, Irresistible Grace is talked about the least. Yeah, I I think so. And I I think that that's probably somewhat to do with uh, its close association with election. If you talk about election, you're going to end up talking about irresistible grace. Right. Because irresistible grace absolutely cannot exist without election. Exactly. And, again, there is a sense where when you talk about one doctrine of grace, you talk about them all in some sense. Because they're so logically cohesive. They're so connected. And so the things that we're going to be talking about today, uh, before we really get into it, you're probably going to hear things that you've already heard us say in the other podcasts on the the first three doctrines of grace. So you could say that this will be review. I mean, hopefully it's not totally review. Hopefully we get into some new scripture and some new content or help you think about regeneration because really this doctrine is, is very much just about regeneration. Uh, maybe, yeah, hopefully we'll give you some stuff to think about it a little bit more clearly. But uh, yeah, and that's the thing. You really don't hear any much, you know, debate on irresistible grace. Usually people like to bring the, the big assaults on election itself uh, and a lot of assaults on limited atonement and a lot of assaults on perseverance of the saints. So mm. 
hold out till the next podcast on Perseverance of the Saints because that will be a good one. <laughs> but I'm going to read what the Westminster Confession says to kind of lay the groundwork for what this doctrine is all about. And we've quoted from the Westminster Confession before on, what did I quote it on? On election? Yeah, yeah. on election. So we're coming back to it because, again, they do a very good job at concisely putting what the Bible teaches about this in a in a way that we don't have to, you know, read a whole book to understand. But here's what it says. All those whom God has predestinated unto life, and those only, he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of the state of death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God, taking away their heart of stone and giving them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills, and by his almighty power determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ, yet so as they come most freely, being made willingly by his grace. It goes on to say, This effectual call is of God's free and special grace alone, not from anything at all foreseen in man who is altogether passive therein, until, being quickened and renewed by the Holy Spirit, he is thereby enabled to answer this call and to embrace the grace offered and conveyed by it. So hopefully you were able to follow along. There's a lot of commas and a lot of semicolons. So it's like one, <laughs> one, giant, uh, one giant thought. Uh, so hopefully I was able to, to incorporate those commas and semicolons in the way I talk so it wasn't totally confusing. <laughs> but basically, yeah, it's, it's about regeneration. It's about being called out of death into life. And we see throughout Scripture this idea of this call, those who are called, and we talked about that in Romans 8 with that golden chain and, and things like that. But I guess what are your thoughts right off the bat, Adam, about regeneration, irresistible grace, affectious grace, however you want to talk about it? Well, you can't read the New Testament without coming across the word called. Right. Uh, I mean, from the very beginning, you see Jesus calling his apostle or calling his disciples and we talked about that you know when we talked about election when you look at what happens there mm-hmm. you know we talked about how Jesus didn't ask them if they wanted to follow him right uh, he said follow me and they instantly dropped what they were doing and they went with Jesus right well so what's happening there we talked about it with the lens of election but what's happening there is Jesus is calling them to a life with Jesus Christ. Right. And it's irresistible, to use that word, yeah. in, in that moment, or as we would prefer to say, effectual. Right. Because not a single one of them said no. Right. It, and so that's the same thing that happens to believers today. Exactly. You know, so and when we talked about it with election, we were like, well, you know, they were, they were elected to follow Jesus. Um, but also in that moment, what's happening is this call that we see, you know, talked about in Romans 8, where it says, you know, in Romans 8.30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. Right. Uh, and those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So we see this this link between, there's the foreknowledge that yep. Romans 8 mentions, which is the election part of it. Yep. So uh, God 
elects people in eternity past. Yep. And then at a moment in a person's life is when this call is made. Yeah. And this call is effectual. Right. In that um, it, the person is justified uh, through a a whole – there's a number of things, and that's what I think we, we want to talk about here. Yeah. Is there's just – there's so many things that happen in that moment. You know, so if we just think of Peter's call, yeah. you know, Peter's out fishing and Jesus is like, follow me. It's not just a simple matter of Jesus spoke a sentence, it said two words, yeah. and then Peter dropped his fish, you know, his fishing nets, and jumped to the boat right. and went and followed Jesus. There's a whole lot more in the spiritual realm that's happening there. So much going on. And in, including, like, in that moment, Peter was justified. But what are the mechanics of all of that? How does that all happen? Yeah. Um, and so I think that's what we want to talk about. But you can't, re- you can't read the New Testament without getting away from it. Even The word calls everywhere. Yeah. It's, I mean, Paul uses it in all of his epistles. He's, most but, of, a, most yeah. of the epistles start out by addressing the yep. called in some sense. Yep. And every time in an epistle in the New Testament, regardless of the author, that you see the word called, it has, in the Greek, it has this connotation. It, it is talking about in this effectual call. Mm-hmm. Every single time you see that word in, in an epistle in the New Testament. So that's after the book of Acts, before the book of Revelation. All of the books in the New Testament, between those two books, when it uses the word called, it's talking about this effectual call, and that's that's native to the Greek with that term. Yeah, I mean, just just to give you an example of that, for those who are listening, and think about how Paul starts his the book of Romans in verse seven, he says, "To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints." So there's a, one of those uses of it's an effectual call. It's not that they're called to be justified, to be saints, mm-hmm. to be made right with God. Yeah. Well, and in First Corinthians, First Corinthians one, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother uh, Sothenus. Maybe I didn't pronounce it right. Uh, verse two to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of the Lord yeah, Jesus, it's like so both much. their Lord and ours. Um, of course. Um, that word call there, that, that second one talking about people calling to God, not yeah. God calling to people. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, I mean, we could go through every single one of these epistles and almost all of them, like you said, start with um, Paul addressing either the elect or those who are called. Right. So it's, it's, it's everywhere. It's so clear. And I guess where this where this doctrine starts to you know, maybe get confusing or people start to disagree on it is, is like, can somebody resist? Obviously we, that's why it's called irresistible. Can somebody resist this call? Can Mm -hmm. God call somebody and then say, sorry, no, I'm not going to. And that's where we get into some debate. And, you know, we say, no, if somebody is called, they will be justified. They will come to faith. And this is where people get confused. They start to think about it as being, like, they think about it, God is forcing me, or you can think about it, he's putting a gun to my head. Come to faith. Repent and believe I have a gun to your head. Do it. I'm forcing you to do it. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, this actually happens quite a bit in other religions, uh, especially Islam and things like that. There's, there's a sense, you know, call, you know, calling Allah, Allah, or, you know, believe in Allah or become a, a, a Muslim or whatever, and will will force you. And that's why in these countries where these pre- predominantly Muslim countries, it's, it's, it's part of the government. It's part of the state. It's, it's a, the whole country is Muslim and you have to be, mm-hmm. you're forced into it. And, that's why they have, you know, some of the radical Muslims will, you know, find Christians or find people and say renounce Christ, and they'll force them to do it. And if they don't, they'll kill them. So it's not as though that's happening, because then all of these doctrines we we tend to get into this. Well, what about our free will? What about our choice? What about my desires? What about my will? And all this stuff. And and we've tried to show. Hopefully, you've been able to see it. We've tried to show how. Your will and, and God's will is not, uh, there is a harmony there. They're not totally like, this isn't a contradiction. So when God calls you effectually, your desire and your will and your choice is to repent and believe. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it earlier too. This, this whole idea of desire, this whole idea of you, you choose or you make decisions constrained by your nature. Maybe I've said the analogy before. I don't know if I have yet on here. You know, you put, you have a room and you have a stack of meat in the room and you throw a stack of meat and a stack of carrots and you throw a line in there. What's the lion going to eat? He's going to eat the stack of meat because he's a lion. He's a carnivore. He wants to eat the meat. You throw a rabbit in there. The rabbit's going to choose because it's going to desire to choose the carrots over the meat or whatever. Mm-hmm. Pick your, you know, your favorite herbivore. <laughs> uh, and maybe you put an omnivore in there and they can't decide because they like both carrots and meat. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> nonetheless, you know. Our, our desires constrain our choices. But when somebody effectually is called by God, they desire God above all things, so they will choose God, because that's your that's your experience, and you've said it a lot when Adam, when when people try to tell people about their salvation experience, it's hard for them not to talk in using language mm-hmm. of "I chose God," right? And so that's kind of our perception of what happened when we think about our salvation, but it's because. God effectually called you prior, you could say, if you want to think about it that way, to you desiring him and choosing him. You were effectually called, you were regenerated by the Holy Spirit and made alive so that you could even desire him. Mm Because total depravity, again, the coherence with all these doctrines, total depravity says that when you're in the flesh, you do not desire God, you do not want God, you hate God. No one seeks after God. No one seeks after God. So that would make total depravity... And the clear teaching of Scripture shows us that it is impossible for somebody to call on the name of the Lord, Mm -hmm. to desire him, to turn to him, to believe on him, to repent of their sin, unless something spiritually and supernaturally has changed in their very being and their very nature. Right. That's what irresistible grace is. That's what infectious grace is. And if we look at the language that's used in Romans 8, uh, uh, 29 and 30, particularly 30 since we're talking about the called, but, um, you know, it says, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified. It doesn't say that 
it, it doesn't say anything about us making a choice there. All, all of this is on God the Father. Uh, so, right for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that uh, he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, so again, God the Father predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Nothing here has to do with what we are doing. God is doing all of the work. God did the election, and then God is following that election through all the way to glorification. And in between those steps is is involved with this the call, and then because God called you, he is justifying you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and that also fits with the you know, justification by faith alone. It's not on us to work to be justified. Right. It's not on us to make the choice. Right. Because if it was on us, then we would either, A, be righteous enough to not need Christ, or uh, we would not need God to interact. Right. So, uh, you know, or, of course, the other option is if it was on us, we wouldn't be able to do it because we're so sinful. Right. So. Then nobody would be saved. Right. (laughs) That's the thing. It's like, if you want it to be on us, nobody will be saved. Mm -hmm. And people, well, why does, you know, why does God not elect some? Right. Well, if he didn't elect anybody, then we'd all go to hell because nobody would choose him. Right. And so it only makes sense within this doctrine that we, we see that God is doing the calling and then naturally, of course, and Scripture supports this, which we'll look at here in a second. Yep. But it 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 makes it only makes sense that then God would regenerate at the moment of the call that God would perform regeneration work within the Spirit to change the nature of the person. Yeah. Uh, thus justifying them, so so that they can accept the call. Right. You know, and it, it's like you know we're we're talking about it as if. You know, there's time in between all of these things happening. Well, see, that's which, so, it's so mysterious. And right. There's so much going on su- supernaturally and spiritually that we just can't. We have to. We have to. We speak in ways because we we think linearly. Right. Yeah, and we think you know progressively in a sense, like, well, yeah. give me an order. Yeah, and but we have to think of all these things happening almost in simultaneously. An yeah. yeah, and you can even think a good example of this uh, in, in scripture would be the raising of Lazarus when Jesus raised Lazarus from the life. He mm-hmm. was a dead man. He was dead in that tomb, yep. rotting away for four days, three or four days. I think it was four. Like, roll away the the the, the stone. You know, Martha's like, Jesus, he's been in mm-hmm. there for this many days. He's gonna, It's going to be a stench that will, like, make you cry. Rolled away, called out, Raz- Lazarus, come out. And so we can kind of think of it in the same way. Mm-hmm. This guy's dead. Yep. But in that call... When Jesus called to Lazarus, come out, Lazarus, he supernaturally, in the same moment, raised him to life, Mm -hmm. put life back in his very being, put breath in his lungs, started to get his heart beating again. Like that happened in that moment. If we, and if you want it, if it helps you to think about it, that right before that call landed on ears that could hear, he raised him to life. Yeah, regenerate him, and that's what you know. Regenerated in, in the terms of what's happening to us spiritually. So, yeah. when you think about this, when you're evangelizing, you have a bunch of dead people, dead people everywhere. You know, people separated from Christ who have not repented and believed are dead, literally dead. 
That's what the Bible says. They're yep. dead. So there needs to be something supernaturally bringing them back to life. And that's what regeneration is. Yeah. And, or, you know, the other thing about evangelism, like if you think about, you know, your own times when you're evangelizing, you are the instrument of the call. God is using you to verbally make the call. Yeah, you're you're the mouthpiece, you're mm-hmm. the amplifier, you're you're the channel by which this message goes through. Right. So you get this luxury, this privilege of being used by God to right. to but call supernaturally. Out. Yeah. You know, like if somebody accepts, we know that then uh supernaturally God called them yep. in the spirit. And that's exactly what Paul's talking about when mm-hmm. he talks about how some water, some plant, some plant, some water, but God causes the growth. And only he who causes the growth is worthy of glory, really. Yep. So he does all the work. The one who causes the growth does all the work. Yep. So let's look at some scripture, though. Yes. Uh, I'm going to start by reading Titus 3, 5. Uh, well, I'll probably read more than 3, 5, 3, 5 through 8, through 7, maybe. Uh, then I wanted us to jump to John 3, chapter 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, because that's a very clear teaching on being born again. That's the terms he uses, but it's very clear teaching on regeneration. And Jesus says some very interesting things, so we'll get to that. But let me read the Titus passage first. Um, starting in verse, well, I'll start in verse 4. Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ or through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. That's such beautiful language. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I love that. But that really what we're trying to hone in on here, especially in this podcast, is the by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So that that happens. The Holy Spirit enters into us when we are effectually called and washes us, changes us, renews us. And that's happening entirely by God's grace and by His work. I mean, verse 7, so being justified by His grace. Yep. Yeah, I mean, you can't really get any clearer than this passage, really. I mean, look at according to his own mercy, uh, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, he did this. He washed us. So, again, it's entirely a work of God, entirely by his choice. Absolutely. And he does it to only those who he has foreknown yep. and predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. Let's jump over to John 3. Uh, we'll start really just in the beginning of the chapter and probably read through verse 8. You want to read that for us, Adam? Sure. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, He cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. 
that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Yeah. I I find it interesting. There's a lot of things that are cool about this passage. I find it interesting that Jesus is telling Nicodemus, don't marvel at this. Don't be surprised <laughs> that you have to be born again. Mm-hmm. And Nicodemus is obviously totally confused because he, 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 you could say he takes Jesus in a physical, literal sense where you actually have to be born physically again. Mm-hmm. Like, can I, <laughs> can I go into my mother's womb and be born again? Like, how is this possible? Yeah. And he doesn't well, get it. I mean, what... What always fascinates me about this passage is that Nicodemus didn't ask Jesus a question at the beginning. Oh, sure. You know, he made a statement to Jesus. He's like, we know that you're from God because nobody can do these signs unless they come from God. And then Jesus is like, let's just get right to the, yeah. <laughs> let's just get to why you're here. You know, thanks, oh, but listen, why don't you be born again? Right. And it, it's very clear again. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear. If you can't see the kingdom of God, if you can't see Christ as, as, as the one that you need, as your Savior, as your Lord, if you can't see him as your master, how are you going to repent? How are you going to believe? How are you going to call on him for salvation? Right. You can't see the kingdom unless you're born again. Because... Before you're born again, what do you want? You want to gratify the desires of your flesh. So, Jesus is speaking as though this is pretty clear. This 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 should make sense to you. Uh, you know, Nicodemus, a Pharisee, a, a teacher of the law. You know the scriptures so well. You shouldn't be marveling at this. That I'm telling you this. But then he says, and truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there we have that. Remember that that language that Paul was using in Titus, the washing of regeneration. Yep. So the water and the Spirit, again, it, it, the Holy Spirit comes into us and washes us, cleanses us, makes us new. This is where you also get into the teaching of baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I'm getting, there's a very clear distinction between of and in. I can't remember actually the distinction. Mm. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism in the Holy Spirit. So we would disagree pretty hardly that baptism of the Holy Spirit is something that you seek post-conversion. That's not something, oh, that's absolutely. that's not a teaching of Scripture. That's wrong. Flatly wrong. You don't see that anywhere in Scripture. And, you know, I know if you're listening to this and you come from more of the Pentecostal or Assemblies of God grain, you are going to flat out disagree with me. But, you know. Well, yeah, I mean. That's a discussion for a different time. I I think that the argument would be, well, that's what happened to the apostles in Acts 2 at, at Pentecost. Sure. The apostles were regenerated by the Holy Spirit. Yeah. When when they were called you're right. When Jesus called them as disciples or apostles, they received spiritual gifts from the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost because Christ promised to send the Holy Spirit. 
Yeah. It, 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 what happened at Pentecost is not a regeneration thing. Peter was already well, saved no, and regenerated. And, and, see, that's the thing, though. The, the Assemblies of God and people that believe in baptism of the Holy Spirit don't believe it's a regenerating thing. They believe you're saved, right. but that you're not, you, you do not have the power of the Holy Spirit until you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is a, something you have, to, you have to pursue post-conversion. And we would say you're wrong. Correct. At conversion, you are, you know, you are baptized with the Holy Spirit, you're given a gift, a spiritual gift, and we'll probably pick this up at a topic on spiritual gifts mm-hmm. later on, especially talking about Acts, talking about these passages, prescriptive, descriptive passages. Nonetheless, we would say that baptism in the Holy Spirit happens at regeneration. It is regeneration. It is the washing, you know, born of water and the Spirit, as Jesus is, is using that language here. That happens... Yeah, when God effectually calls you. And so, you know, Jesus goes on to say, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say this this to you. Like, we see this teaching all throughout Scripture. You must be born again. But then he says this very interesting thing. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So he's basically giving us a very clear teaching again on on God's choice of who he's going to regenerate. Mm-hmm. Like a very clear, the wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes, where it wishes. So where God wishes or whom God wishes to regenerate, that's who will be regenerated. But we don't know. And so our job in evangelism is to spread the gospel everywhere, to preach it to every creature, to spread it all around the world to all nations. But those who have been elected, who have been foreknown by God, that's when, you know, when that when that wind, you know, blows against their heart, you could say using the language of Jesus, or when the gospel lands on the ears of somebody who is a lost sheep, then it'll be effectual and they'll mm-hmm. be effectually called and this is a good distinction, I guess, right now to make, is that there is two types of call. There is a general call and an effectual call. So a general call is just the general preaching of the gospel. So I give out, as an evangelist, I give out a general call to every creature. And I'm commanded in the Bible to do this. Mm-hmm. You know, go make disciples of all nations. We, we spread the gospel to everyone. That's the general call. I'm generally calling all, all people to, to repent. No matter who I go to, whether I know if they're saved or if they're an elect or not, I give them a general call to repent and believe in Christ. Only those who have now been effectually called through that general call will truly repent and believe. Mm-hmm. And Scripture talks about that in Revelation twenty two seventeen. It says, "The Spirit and the Bride." So let me—I mean, the Spirit, obviously, the Holy Spirit, the Bride being the Church. Uh, so the Spirit and the Bride say, "Come." And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. But speaking, like, the Holy Spirit and the church and the people who hear, mm-hmm. um, and even those who are, like, it, it's a it's a wide net. It's casting out to everybody. We're saying, come, believe in Jesus Christ. Become part of the church. 
um, that will be this bride for Christ uh, at the end times. But, you know, come and and believe. And if you are thirsty and you want, you, you have a desire to take this water of life, come and take it without price because that's the offer. That's what we're, you know, so that's the general call. But not everybody, as, as we've talked about before, uh, when we talked about limited atonement, you know, we aren't universalists. And right. the Bible doesn't doesn't teach universalism in any way. The Bible is very clear that there will be people who will not go to heaven. So we know that not everybody will listen. But the the people who who have been elected, when they hear this call, when they hear the Spirit say to them, "Come," they will come. Right. Exactly. And. Another passage where we see this, and we've talked about this passage before, is in First Thessalonians, verses four and f- chapter one, verses four and five. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you, because He, because our gospel came to you not only in word. So, when the gospel comes only in word, that would be what we call the general call. That word is given to as many people as you can tell it to. And then he says, but also in power in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. So those who are effectually called, that general gospel call comes in power in, in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. That's regeneration. Regeneration yeah. is when the Holy Spirit enters into you and changes you, convicts you of your sin. Yeah, and I'm pulling up another passage now. Um, bear with me because I, I have to find it. Um, but it's in John 10. You know, we, we see Jesus talk about this again. Right. In John ten twenty seven, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Yep. Exactly. So, and what, I mean, what that, that talks about is those who are elect are Jesus' sheep. God gave them to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus Christ is talking about here. Like, the Father has given Jesus Christ... Those whom he elected. And so let me let me be really distinct. The Father elected people and then gave those people to Jesus Christ. And those are Jesus Christ's sheep. And so when Jesus Christ speaks and calls those people, they know his voice. Right. And they follow him. Right. That's what this passage is right. saying. Right. I mean, here's another one. We're just kind of wrapping them off now. But this is a really cool passage. I mean, I don't know why we haven't brought this one up yet, but we're doing it now. So (laughs) this is uh, Acts 13, uh, specifically verse 48, but we're going to start in verse 47. It says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So there we go. We get this, you know, command from the Lord. Bring bring the gospel everywhere. Uh, Then he says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. So, here we have a distinction. This mm-hmm. gospel word is being spread. We're commanded by the Lord to spread it, to, to preach the gospel. But only those who have been appointed to eternal life will believe. Yep. So there we kind of have another distinction of a general call and an effectual call. And those whom God, again, we can start to incorporate this uh, with all of our other, uh, with all of our other passages in election, that those whom were appointed were are the elect, 
Those are the ones that Paul is telling us in Romans 8 were foreknown. Right. Very clear. This makes sense. This is cohesive. Mm -hmm. And this is all over in Scripture. All over in the New Testament you see things like this. Yeah. Everywhere. It's really quite something, actually. (laughs) I don't know. Right. I mean, it's like, I just, I don't know. I get kind of like, well, how do you argue against this teaching? Yeah, and, you know, even in uh, Revelation 3, you know, we have that that passage that um, we so often think of where Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, so that again— passage that, that's taken a, out of context a lot. Right. <laughs> that one. <laughs> you know, but it's another image of of a— um, of, yeah, I mean, Jesus is standing at the door and knocking for everybody, but only, only those who, who's, who that knock is effectual for, will will they actually open the door? Sure. Um, you know, again, not not necessarily the best use of that particular <laughs> passage, but you know, um, there's. There's there are two different types of calls, yeah, and there are two different types of grace, right? And so that that I think maybe is a good segue. Well, let's okay, let's just. Well, I want to segue into common grace because mm-hmm. that's something that we uh, can get confused on. There is a difference between God's saving grace and His common grace, and this is a really important distinction, and maybe something we have to revisit on a later podcast to really has show common grace and saving grace and how God deals with, with the non-elect uh, generally in creation. Uh, but before we get into that common grace discussion here in just a moment, basically what's taking place in regeneration uh, when the Holy Spirit enters into you, again, we, we learn, okay, I gotta go there. Uh, more scripture. <laughs> but it's never a bad thing. Never a bad thing. We like scripture. Got to go to Ephesians one, uh, if, if I can find it. Um, verse thirteen. Yes, verse thirteen. Chapter one, verse thirteen. In whom you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory? We're going to talk about that again on Perseverance of the Saints, too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but the point is, okay, so the Holy Spirit, you hear the gospel, general call, Holy Spirit regenerates you, makes you alive, seals you. Holy Spirit seals you, very clear. Uh, what's happening, and there's a whole sort, assortment of things that are happening in this moment. One, okay, okay I'm going to back up. Remember told depravity does not teach that you're as bad as you possibly could be. But it does teach that every aspect of your being is affected and tainted by sin. Mm -hmm. So, our minds are affected by sin and tainted by it and corrupted by it. So, when the Holy Spirit regenerates us, He gives us a new mind. We can now think in, in ways that we were not able to think about before. Before regeneration, we thought only for our own self gain. We interpreted the world the world, as though we were the ultimate, as though we were the authority. So we always interpreted the world before regeneration to please ourselves, to elevate ourselves. So post-regeneration now, now we're regenerated, God, the Holy Spirit gives us, a new, gives us a new mind. So now we can actually interpret the world properly 
where we see God as the ultimate, God as the absolute, and me as derivative, or me as the creature, and God as the Lord. So we get a new mind in regeneration. We're given new desires, new emotions, new affections. And this is where we get this idea that it's not as though God, God is putting a gun to our head and say, believe in me. No, we want it because the Spirit has now given us new desires. And those new desires are obviously for Him. <laughs> yeah, sometimes called, uh, you know, the, the Spirit quickens. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, we are quickened unto life. We want Him. We desire Him. We have dr- real, they're not fake, they're absolutely real, authentic feelings for Him. You know, more real than any feelings you could ever have for your wife or anybody. Like, that real. Real feelings for God. Real desires. Real affections. You're given those. So, new mind, new affections, new desires, new... And then you're given a new will. And this is where we get into the repentance and and, and believing. Like, I actually choose. I make a decision. I change my actions. I repent of my sin and I turn to Christ. So you're given a new will. You can actually now obey God. You can actually do things that please God that are in, in accordance with his His will. Uh, you can actually obey the commandments that God has given you. Prior to regeneration, any any obedience that you thought you had to the commands of God was actually only for your self-gain. Right. And so that's what the Pharisees were doing. Did they externally obey a lot of the commandments in the Old Testament? Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah. Internally? I mean, Paul says that he obeyed them all. Yeah. He was perfect in that regard. Never mind the murder, but, you know, besides (laughs) that. Yeah. But he he was getting rid of those, you know, those Christians who were, you know, right. Talking about Christ. So, in his framework, it was good. It was a righteous murder. Mm-hmm. He was he, he was killing those people, those those you know those false teachers. Yeah, he called himself blameless in Philippians. Right. So all this obedience that you thought you had prior to regeneration wasn't real obedience. Mm-hmm. It wasn't internally. It wasn't heart obedience. So now that you have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit through the gospel through faith, spirits in you, now you can actually authentically obey the commands of God. Right. Your heart has been changed. And so that's another term that the Bible uses is in Ezekiel, it says that your heart of stone is taken out and you're, it's replaced with the heart of flesh. Yep. And flesh in this sense doesn't mean like, you know, how we've been using it f- for so long now as being right. a bad thing, but it's softened. It's a softening. Mm-hmm. Your heart was hardened totally resistant to anything good and right and perfect and pure, like totally resistant to the Word of God. It's a, it's a hard-packed surface. You can't get through it. So when <clears throat> when your heart is heart of stone and now it's being replaced with a heart of flesh, now the gospel and the truth of God is able to penetrate into your heart. Yeah. It's not just blocked. So that's that picture. So that's happening. Your heart's being changed. It's like an exchange. It happens by the power of the Holy Spirit only you're not a part of that exchange you're not saying yeah god take out my heart of stone you know here we go here i'm gonna take it out for you here it is now (laughs) give me this heart of flesh i'll give you 10 bucks for that heart of flesh and put it in you know you're doing no work in this at all so that's other terms the bible uses 
uh, in Ephesians, uh, later on in Ephesians 1, uh, uses the, the terms of being raised from death. Uh, in First Peter, we have terms of being called out of darkness. In John 5, we have uh, terms of passing out of death. Uh, in Colossians 2, we have a, a term of being made alive or making alive. Um, in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, we have the terms of being a new creation. So these are all ways to describe what is happening in that moment of regeneration. Mm-hmm. And again, it's it's totally by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's that's why it's in, in line with, yeah, all these doctrines of grace. Yep. Okay, anything else to say about that before we really kind of talk about common grace to wrap up this episode? No, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Common grace. Okay, what is common grace? How would you define common grace, Adam? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it not I, I guess I wouldn't you I don't I don't have a good dictionary definition of it or, you know, a theological textbook definition of it, but um, you know, I think the example from the Bible is the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Yep. Um, you know, the the sun rises. Um, you know, for example, we just had a major snowstorm um, last week. So uh, if you if you think about uh, snow plows, for example, clearing off the roads, for <laughs> yeah. those familiar with that, uh, you know, the whether you're a believer or not, the snow plows plowed the roads. Yeah, in, and, in, and maybe in town. quite often the snow plow actually plowed out the non-believers before the believers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe um, you know um, the, there's a super like in in America, right? There, I mean, there's a, there's a supermarket. It doesn't. There, there's no there's no special designation outside outside the supermarket. That says if you're a believer, you can come in here and get the choicest of foods. Yeah, the best. You know, fruits. Uh, it, we have we have the same access to the things that we need to be physically alive. Yep. Uh, as believers, as non-believers do. Right. And that that's probably the greatest example of of common grace is that God allows us to be alive at all because we we all deserve death. And yep. eternal separation from right. God. So it would be perfectly just of God to just be like, nope, you're all done, and just, you know, snap his fingers, and then everybody's just dead. Yeah. Uh, and, and the fact that God allows believers and non-believers to maintain life, right? that is, uh, I think, the, the best example of common grace. Yeah, absolutely. All that, exactly. I wouldn't have said it any different. I mean— you even have examples when you read through like some of uh, the wisdom stuff in the Old Testament, some of Solomon's work. I can never say, but is it Ecclesiastes? Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. <laughs> that one's a tough one for me. But I was just reading in Ecclesiastes in my own personal devotional time, and and in some sense, like you see that the 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 non-believer, the non-elect, does experience a level of success, you could say, in the world. They, they, you know, they, they're able to, you know, make deals and make money and buy cool things and yeah. have mansions and, and go on these cool trips. You know, if we start bringing it into modern terms, like right. think of how many cool, like good things, like the good things that God created, food, m- marriage, relationships, mm-hmm. like a non-believer can in some degree 
experience a marriage that's probably pretty yeah. wonderful and yeah. happy if you want to use those terms and in, in a degree fulfilling but mm-hmm. it's it's there's it's obviously going to fall short of of uh of the purpose and meaning uh that god intended in marriage but there is a sense of god allows this to happen we can experience these good things because god created us as image bearers and he created a world uh with good things yeah food's a good thing and as far as i know Non-believers enjoy eating food, too. Right. <laughs> yep. <laughs> like a, ta- a steak, a nice medium-rare, a big old tomahawk ribeye tastes good to a non-believer. Right. As far as I've known, I don't. maybe I should check that. But, <laughs> but man, th- I mean, that's common grace in, in a nutshell. In a yeah. nutshell. Like, there's a lot more to it. It gets a lot deeper than that. Uh, but saving grace is... Uh, and again, totally different. And the grace, you know, the word grace, unmerited favor, undeserved yep. gift. Like, again, common grace. Nobody deserves to eat a tomahawk ribeye or to have their crops flourish if they're a farmer mm-hmm. or to, you know, whatever it is. We don't deserve any of that. So the fact that we have it is a gift of God, not by anything we've done. Saving grace, though, is totally different in its justification. It's mm-hmm. given a righteousness that we don't deserve. Right. And having our punishment put on Christ instead of us. Yeah. And so that only happens to the elect, as we've right. hopefully made clear. Yeah, I mean, you can look at a time specifically in the Bible where common grace was removed from the world, and that was at, at, at the flood. Absolutely. It, and that, again, it, it that's was, what you're saying, judgment. Yeah. God can bring judgment now if he wants. Yeah. It was at that moment that God was like, no, I, I'm done with this grace. Yep. And, you know. Because um, what does it say? What is, is it in the New Testament, before the flood happened, people were eating and drinking and being merry. Yep. There we have a good example of common grace. Yep. Eating, drinking, being merry. Yeah. Boom. Exactly. But he took it because he can. Yep. Because it's a gift, unmerited gift. Yep. He doesn't have to give that gift if he doesn't want to. Right. Yeah. So maybe we'll wrap it up here. Okay, there's another type of grace, and I'm. it's hard for me to actually coherently explain it because it doesn't make sense in my mind, but it's prevenient grace. And this is often what Arminians, you know, the, the set of doctrines that is opposed to Calvinism is Arminianism. Hopefully you've understood that if you've been listening to these podcasts. But they have this idea of provenient grace, and it's hard again for me to think about it or coherently put it together or explain it, but it's, it's, it's this grace shown to somebody by God that brings them, you know, it's a grace shown to, by God to somebody before they're saved that brings them to a level or to a point of being able then to choose God is a way to think about it. So, okay, Maybe you have an Arminian friend who will give you uh, uh, the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, we're depraved. We can't choose God. Uh, I'm totally affected by sin. My mind is. My will is. My heart is. I do. I can't just reason my way to God. You know, maybe you have some that do think you can. But so God shows us prevenient grace, which gives, a, which makes us able now to now choose God. In a sense, it's before. It's all before salvation, though. It's all before 
regeneration. You still have to then choose God by your own will and your own power. Uh, and then after you choose God, then you're regenerated. So the order has changed. Mm-hmm. Unless you choose God by your own will, by your you know your own power, then the Holy Spirit, because now you've allowed him, now he regenerates you. So we would say, no, 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 no. Regeneration happens solely by the choice of God. It's an affectious grace. It happens totally and, it, and totally changes you completely. Mm-hmm. Brings you totally to salvation. Exactly like we see with the call of the disciples. Exactly. And so clearly the call of Paul. The call of Paul. Yep. The call of Paul. That kind of sounds weird. Uh so this prevenient grace, this idea invented, I don't I don't know where you can find it in the scriptures. Maybe I should do some more digging and see where they try to ground it in the in the scriptures, but this idea that again to hold on to the 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 autonomy of man's choice and his his him being the primary will in salvation, they come up with this idea of prevenient grace that oh God brings you partially partially to, you know, saving grace yeah, or to like, regeneration. It's like an idea that because God is loving you and showing you this prevenient grace that somehow that sparks your first impulses to please God. Right, but then again, because the, the but, opposite doctrine of irresistible grace would be resistible grace in the Arminian set, so you can resist this grace that God shows you. So it's like, well, what's the point then? Right. Why are you making up this doctrine? Because yeah. it's made up. It's not in the scriptures. It's just made up, and it doesn't make sense. Okay, if God shows this prevenient grace so they can hold on to the fact that, like, their unlimited atonement, that God died for everyone, so they can hold on to that, therefore then God would have to show prevenient grace to everyone to give them the ability to freely choose God. But you're still left at phase one of, like, but not all do. Right. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, and again, you're ignoring the— the the doctrines of total depravity anyway yeah so I mean the I should I should even word it differently you're ignoring the scriptures <laughs> yeah that specifically state that nobody can seek after God right so it's it's a weird idea I think I think it's a very weird idea I should probably look more into it to see how they're really justified in the text I don't know how they do I don't know how they could um because it doesn't make sense. But that's going to be the end of Irresistible Grace or Affectious Grace or whatever you want to name it. Point four in the Doctrines of Grace, represented by the eye and tulip. Uh, but we're going to finish up the, the series on Perseverance of the Saints, so I highly encourage you to tune back in for the next episode on the, the last Doctrine of Grace. Yeah, probably my favorite one. Uh, I think it's one of my favorite ones, too. I have a lot to say on it, and I, yeah. I know you do, too, Adam. <laughs> but thanks for tuning in.